Blog Talk Radio. Nice and sunny here in Atlanta. Uh, supposed to be up to close to 85 degrees. Yes, Atlanta has very little spring, more summer and fall than spring. But anyway, I digress. Uh, joining me is uh, Lisa Phillips. Lisa Phillips is the author of the book Investing in Rental Property for Beginners, Buy Low and Rent High. She also mentors real estate investors. Uh, hello, Lisa. How are you? Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you to the audience as yes, well. Yeah. Now, I, I was looking at your bio, and you mentioned that you uh, that you grew up poor. You want to kind of explain that? Yeah, that is a story most in America can really understand. So I know I'm not alone in that. Um, so, and that really shapes everything because you can be born poor, but that doesn't mean that your soul was poor, right? <laughs> So it was always this thing where I lived in a situation. I was very happy uh, child because we had tons of love. So I was like, being poor does not have to be, doesn't necessarily have to be a very negative living, right? You can still have love and family and support. Actually, the more, most community I've ever had was when I lived in a lower income neighborhood because everyone relied on each other. The older kids watched over younger kids. You could borrow milk, sugar, bread from your neighbors. Right, you could call them up and anything went wrong. So, you know, grew up very happy, but like in my soul, I was like, hmm. I mean, I live this way, but this isn't right for me. I I need to do well. Like I need to be, you know, I need to make money. I this this is fine, but this isn't for me. So it's just interesting. Like you grew up a certain way, but your soul is like, yeah, this is very temporary. So in my mind, I was like, okay, I really need to figure out a way so I don't have to continue living like this when it's my turn to start working. And so that's which, a basis of everything. Which, which, which city did you grow up in? Las Vegas, Nevada, which I'm Las so grateful Vegas. for. Oh, wow. Yes. That had to be an interesting city growing up. <laughs> you know, it's very much a um, 
service industry, and that has very much working class. So mm-hmm. your parents aren't necessarily making a ton of money, but it's enough to get by and live comfortably. It's a place where, you know, it's not like, a, you know, everyone has a college degree, like it's there, but, you know, that's not the majority of the people who make the town. But, you know, it's very much a community-friendly, uh, very open type community. So it was fun because there was so much freedom to be yourself in a way that I've traveled to other states. You don't always get. There's um, all these expectations and classism and oppressive racism and just, you know, it's stratified and you just don't have any of that stratification in Vegas. That's why so many people like to visit because regardless of who you are and where you are, you just get treated as a person with a smile, right? And that's how I grew up. It wasn't until I left that I realized it wasn't like that, but I appreciate I was able to grow up, like, believing and trusting in, like, in, like the friendliness and openness of people versus putting them in a place immediately. Now, you're trained as an engineer, electrical engineer, if I'm correct. Uh, so yes, sir. So you, you, you made that big leap. Well, explain your journey to becoming a real estate investor. Right. Well, at the end of the day, um, when you grow up, as I did, you're, you know, what I wanted to earn money. I didn't like being poor, even though it was fine. It wasn't for me. I wanted items and things, and you need money for that. Um, I went the college route and got in electrical engineering because I knew it was a stable job. They earn more coming out than most other professions. I think some are like 35K and they're like 55K, right? So that was looked it was challenging, but the way my mind works, I don't mind a challenge. My mind isn't one that shies away from hard work, hard academic work, or challenging work, right? I'm like, oh, of course I can. You know, you're just more, some people are just like that. Um, and so um, I went into that, and I had a few internships um, with uh, the digital aspect of electrical engineering, the power aspect of it, and even the, uh, the part where it wasn't you know, like, I actually did a little work in D.C., working for one of the agencies for an internship as well. And what I realized was that, you know, I don't really like the setting. You know, I like the ideas and the concepts, but it's a little, it can be a little dead, day-to-day, a little boring, in my mind. Not to everybody else, but to me. And, um, you know, it's, it can be a very conservative environment, and I'm not a conservative person. I don't dress conservatively. I don't talk conservatively. I don't think conservatively. I don't look conservative. So, you know, before I even graduated, I sort of knew that, like, you know, one of these things isn't like the others, right? So, <laughs> so upon graduating, I was open to doing different things because my mindset's always been you have one life, you need to be happy. And, you know, you, you would think everyone has that mindset, but most people do not. Most people think they just have to sit up, shut up, and take what people give them, I've noticed. And it's like quite a, obviously when I meet people, it's like 10% of the population really is like, we deserve to be happy. Um, so I was willing to take leaps and not just go into engineering, even though it took me six years to like finally get that degree. It was, oh boy, <laughs> that's a challenge. Um, and so uh, being open to other things because you saw you didn't quite fit in, I went into IT and technical sales, which used more of my personality and my trustworthiness. Uh, and my knowledge and skills and background in problem solving. And then I got laid off in um, 2015, but by that, but by, but in 2009, I had started looking at properties because in the back of my mind, I'm like, uh, this working in corporate America is not sustainable with a personality and soul like me, like mine. It just isn't. 
So in 2009, uh, so I graduated in 2006, 2009, I was like, real estate investing is good, right? Like, I always had a natural love for houses. But then, like, in 2009, I, I found that you can invest in these lower-priced neighborhoods and they're neighborhoods that I grew, like I grew up with. And I knew there's millions of people out there who were like me who grew up in poverty and they got out of it because of their own um, ability to navigate uh, successfully through the system. But I was like, like, this is for us. Like, we can, we can invest in our own neighborhoods and we actually care about the type of families that live there because these are the families that helped raise us to the people we were, right? Like, this is the culture, the community. Um, so, so yeah, so, 2000, so about three years in, I was, like, looking for an exit plan, so I had uh, freedom. So I didn't have to – and so I have to put on a mask in corporate America. I can't be me. Like, <laughs> I get in trouble when I'm me. Like, I don't last long, right? So – um, and then there's a choice. You have to, you can be someone else who's playing a game, or you can be you. And being you sometimes means you need to figure out your own way to have money coming in. And that's what I decided to do. Wow. And and your journey has been an, an interesting one. And before we get into you know how you got into real estate, so because I know people probably say, is this a good time? To invest in real estate because with the pandemic and mm-hmm. perhaps some people have mm-hmm. job uncertainty. Um, I mm-hmm. always believe mm-hmm. that whenever there's situations like this, a recession, depression, whatever the case may be, there's always opportunity. Mm-hmm. So is now a good there time is. to invest in real estate? Well, you know, that's a big question. So let me answer it in two parts. Like what's going on now and what we project we might see in the future, right? About 18 months, two years from now when everything really starts shaking loose. Uh, right now, it is fine to do real estate investing if it's a good deal. A good deal is a good deal, right? Like the people who work with me, we're going for cash flow, um, whereas mainstream money people are okay with like $50, $100 in cash flow per door. Cash flow is the profit you make when you pay all your expenses. You know, we go for 400 500 600 700 We go for houses that cost $30,000 to seventy. Sixty or fifty thousand dollars, right? And so we're looking for houses where a mortgage might be two hundred and fifty dollars, but we get a thousand dollars in rent. So every, you know, so not only are we getting an asset, but we're getting significant cash. Well, that's the goal and the target. And so it's easy, you know, if even if you buy one house a year after five years, you have enough to like comfortably live on, right? Um, and it can go a lot faster depending on how much funds you have and your time availability to look for them. So um, right now, a good deal is a good deal. And uh, from what I'm seeing, and I'm talking to clients all over the country, uh, before they even open their mouths, they're like, this, it's negotiable. Like, the sellers are telling them this is negotiable anytime anyone nibbles and tells their real estate agent they want to come look at the property. So even right now, the deals are starting to appear, and people are willing to negotiate. So maybe as before, you had to go back and forth if you did an inspection and try to get the price down because of the repairs you'd have to make. Now they're not even, like, questioning it. They're like, yeah, that's fair. Let's go. So right now, if it's a good deal, it's a good deal. If you're buying a house for $45,000 and it brings in significant rent, like, you know, 800 bucks, but it costs, like, $300 to carry the mortgage, I mean, that's a good rental property deal. And anything above that is really good. So a lot of the people in my platform and group and my audience and my clients are doing that. Now, the bigger question is, what's going to happen 18 months to two years from now? We have a second wave coming. We have a full economy. We have the sector of 43% of small businesses saying if they don't open up now and get revenue in, they're going to close permanently. And that's the economic engine and driver of this country. We're printing money frivolously, quantitative easing, and, you know, the banks are getting richer while we're getting poor, which that's something we really need to talk about. Um, so 
in the next two years with that economic forecast, you would think there'd be more deals because I just did a video on YouTube, a live video on there were more millionaires made in real estate. No, there are more millionaires ever made in America, and that was during the Depression. And they all made it through real estate, right? Because all of a sudden, houses went 30 to 50% of value, and the people who had the money could stack them up. Now, there's always something that can happen where there's government intervention that um, can combat that. So government intervention as in, you know, maybe they keep people paying their basic, you know, UBI comes in, universal basic income, and all of a sudden, whereas people would have been out of a house, well, actually, now we're not, because I get 2000 a month in income, you know, so that would not have as much of a downward pressure on prices, and that could possibly happen. They're thinking of doing a more, uh, they introduced a congressional bill that um, mortgage and rent uh, free for a year, and that they would have funds to help all the mortgagers. But that's something that would sort of halt that, that natural progression, um, which, you know, I, I like interference, but sometimes, you know, it's okay for a little depreciation to come in because even first-time home buyers are trying to buy, and, like, if the house costs 30% less, it'd be more attainable for families. So it's not always a bad thing to let the natural cycle of what comes up come down and then it even out over time. Um, and there's also intervention from uh, the bank. So you remember in... During the recession, the banks had tons of houses that were foreclosed on, and they flooded the market, which really caused a huge downward price and pressure. But what happened was about four years into it, um, all of a sudden, you could be living in a house rent-free for like five years, right, before they foreclosed. And what they were doing was they weren't putting space sort of artificially and uh, kept demand high by not oversupplying, and uh, banks held back on putting their foreclosed houses on the market so that the prices could stabilize. So that was them creating a backup. Um, and, you know, so, yeah, I mean, those things, like we've seen that playbook, that could happen as well so the prices don't go down. And in their minds, it was better to have someone living in it and keeping up with the HOA requirements rather than them getting in trouble, right, for not having for having a non-maintained yard in, like, an HOA community, right, because they were getting fined and they're not necessarily in the business of property management, right, or people would break into homes, right? So it's like, okay, if we let this person live rent-free for a few years before we put it on the market, not only do we not flood the market with a whole bunch of low-priced houses, which decreases all the house's value, but we're also have someone maintaining the property and we don't have to deal with it. So there are interventions that can happen that can slow that natural up and down rhythm. Now, you might tell I talk about soul and spirituality just as much as I talk about the logical numbers because they're both, I mean, <laughs> they're, for me, they're both, like, like I, it's easy for me to see both sides as the, as the other. Um, there is something to be said. We keep delaying that natural ebb and flow, and there is a universal law of rhythm where what goes up must come down, right? So I, this unnatural sort of stepping in, you know, I think on the spiritual level will have an effect, and when it crashes, it'll crash big because they kept trying to go against nature. All right. Well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we want to talk about how much money does it take to get into real estate. Your wallet is a little short, but the bills keep coming. Financial strategies when money is tight. On today's Your Personal Finance. 
troubles, which bills should you pay first? Here are some guidelines. Pay your rent and mortgage, then your utility bills and insurance. When it comes to your car loan or lease, miss a payment, and you'll hear from the lender or leaser within 10 days. But if you don't pay up after 60 days, expect the company to take measures to have your car repossessed. With credit cards, if you don't make the minimum payment within five days of the due date, expect form letters every couple of weeks requesting payment. If you don't make a payment, they will suspend your charge privileges. Keep in mind, car loans and credit card payment histories will be reported to the credit bureau and will impact your ability to get future loans. It's always wise to try to work out a repayment schedule in advance. For your personal finance, I'm Charles Ross. And we're back. We're talking with Lisa Phillips. Uh, this is Your Personal Finance with Dr. Charles Ross, and we're talking about real estate investing. Lisa is the author of the book, Investing in Rental Property for Beginners, and she joins us by phone. Now, Lisa, what was your – you mentioned you were you know, you were electrical engineer and you got into real estate. So what, t- what made the light bulb go and say, hey, you know, I can do this because, you know, you do this full time, right? Yeah, yeah, and I also help people um, full time right. as well. So that means so what makes, uh, so what, someone will be so what like, made, I, so what made you say, hey, you know, when you did your first deal, you said or deals, mm-hmm, and you said, hey, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. this is this is this is this is going to be my life's work. What made you kind of mm-hmm. the light bulb go off in that case? Oh, you know the. First one I did, I got, um, it was like a $35,000 condo, and it was like in such a nice part of town. And I had left Las Vegas when I was in Ohio, and I realized, I didn't know that houses were that inexpensive. But that was the first time I got an understanding of geography, and that outside of the West Coast, you can find inexpensive communities and houses. And um, it was during 2009, I had gotten laid off, and I had this $35,000 condo, and, you know, it was like $350 mortgage, and I'd gotten a roommate who paid $650 a month in rent. And she covered the mortgage and all the utilities and the cable and the phone. <laughs> and it was during 2009 when we were losing like 700,000 jobs a month. And I was like, I'm so comfortable. I will tell you something. When it's a recession or depression, I mean, God favors some of us because I'm like, I didn't make much. But because of those moves I made earlier it was, and that were low cost and were very obtainable um, and very conservative. Yeah, that's the one time I'm conservative is with my money. <laughs> because I made all of that uh, going forward, um, I was really blessed in a time where people were very scared. And I was, I was quite comfortable. I was a little too comfortable. <laughs> I was like, let me go to work before I stay, stay like this forever. Um, and, you know, it's all in your mindset, right? Like, can everybody be comfortable being in that position? But I was like, you know, I've grown up poor. I'm fine. And some of us can do that, right? We can scale up or scale down, and we can still be happy. You know, all of a sudden, I was shopping. Instead of Bed Bath & Beyond, I was shopping at, like, the, the thrift store. You know, I'm still here. We're okay. You know, the $5 pot and pan I bought, like, 10 years ago, I'm still using. You know, and I just adjusted to it. And so I was like, hmm, look at this middle of this really crazy recession I couldn't get a job because I'd gotten laid off and I was fine and so after that when I did get a job about six months later um, and moved out to the DC area I was like let's do this again and then let's do it again and each time I did it it was low cost it was obtainable um, the most normal person could get involved in investing I bought a house for 13000 in Baltimore and then I bought a house for $25,000 in Richmond and, of course, there was a learning curve, right? But, you know, I had time, 
And it was worth doing this learning curve because, you know, it was relatively soon between that and like my fourth property. You know, I was up at about $4,200 in cash flow within like a couple, you know, three to four years. And because one would get paid off, I'd pay off the loan or mortgage, I'd pay this off because it was so low. And, um, and that is enough where if I lost my job, and I did in 2015, I got laid off from another job uh, again. And it was enough where I didn't have to go out and get another job again. Like I was fine and I was independent. And um, that's when I started telling the world about it on YouTube or in, and doing blog posts about it. Now, I got a lot of pushback because me sitting here talking about working class minority neighborhoods being A-OK, well, there was a whole sector, the majority, 95% of all investors were affluent and they were mostly white males. And um, the reputation on minority neighborhoods was very negative. There was 5% it wasn't negative with. <laughs> but when I started talking about this, I really came up against mindsets um, from these people they literally wrote articles about what I was doing. Like, don't buy a sub 30K pig or it's window dressing. You can't put it. Like, they really had articles about me. And these are just individuals, but it was like, you know, the whole energy of that was like, don't do it. And we can go into details on that if you want. But um, about, like, why I see why they suggested that, maybe for them that is the right advice. Like, if you're not from these type of areas, you're not comfortable with um, low-income communities, you're not comfortable with low-income minority communities. Maybe you shouldn't go in there, right? If it's if it's that much of a leap for you, but so the you're thing saying, is, so there are just as so many people saying, who are like me so out there. So you're saying, Lisa, when you started to uh, promote and uh, be an advocate for sub-50 market uh, real estate, yep. that you got some pushback yes. because of. Lots. They just didn't see the value in, in, in doing it. So why, you know, so what, what, why should somebody invest in sub fifty market uh, uh, homes? What is it? What's the advantage of having these kinds of uh, homes? Because one thing I see is that uh, I live in Atlanta, and the same homes that I see in Atlanta that go for one fifty, one twenty five, mm-hmm. you know, I could mm-hmm. you can see them in a market like Macon going for thirty five thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Basically. A three-bedroom, yes. two-same house yes. is just a different yes. market. Now, you know, you have to suspend yeah. oftentimes what you would live in and what somebody else would live in. Does that make sense? Exactly. You know? Nope, that's so exactly explain it. Why, explain why, some, why investing in the sub-50 market is so advantageous for folks getting in. The reality is that, like, the majority of people who are looking for real estate investing advice who want financial freedom are not rich. They're like the 80% of people in America who, you know, you might have ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 in savings, but you don't have fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 to buy, like, a house in cash, right? And so the typical investing advice when you went to go look for it, even though your pocketbook was probably ten, fifteen, or 20000 for an investment property, is you need $50,000 or sixty, or buy a $200,000 house in an A-class neighborhood with a good school district, which works depending on your strategy, right? But if your strategy is in 30 years, you can sell it to retire, well, you just really need to understand it. My strategy is to buy low. So if you have $10,000, my clients come to me at 13000 like we can start building them a portfolio and map it out. And so when you're of modest means, but you still want financial freedom and you want uh, cash flow, who, you know, and at first it might be $300, $400 for property, but over three, four, five years and you pay it off because it doesn't cost that much. 
all of a sudden you're at 800 and 900 in cash flow, you need only four or five of those houses before you're completely able to not have to work for anyone other than who you want to work for. You're not chained to income from a job that you may or may not like. So it's that person who wants financial freedom and they just have, and don't get me wrong, some of my clients have 10,000, some have 100,000, some have 200, some have 400, honestly. But the reality is they're looking for the faster turnaround. And a lot of the talk in the major real estate investing community, it is for bigger types of money and bigger types of deal, which is fine for those people, but they never take the time to say, who are they talking to? So you think they're talking to you, and they're talking to someone who has $200,000 in the bank, right? They're not talking to you, but they never want to say that. No one wants to be the jerk that says you don't have enough money for them, right? So they're never going to say it, but we have to read between the lines and have two caps and understand why they don't say it, but understand that maybe uh, the place for you and your money, because of how much money you have saved or your goals, might be something different. So that's the kind of person who, and even if you don't do it, I would highly recommend you look into this before you do it. Because I, I do get phone calls from people who bought the $150,000 house. It's like a $900, $1,000 mortgage. Like it's different if you fall on hard times or you get a vacancy and your mortgage note is $300 versus 1000 plus all the utilities, right? Like there's a very big difference in um, the average person who's working a job being able to like, okay, um, I'm having a tenant and I might not get a new one for three months between turnover, finding an applicant and getting them involved. You know, $3,000 versus $900 is very different each month for a normal working person or working professional to be able to hold. I mean, you pay more for private school and for some of these Range Rovers I see driving around. So it's also to be able to maintain it, it's good for that. So how much money, uh, if you're looking at a house under 50 uh, thousand. Mm-hmm. How much? Is, I mean, and if you, how much of money does it take to get started? I guess, uh, assuming you know that uh, you yeah. know you're looking at a sub fifty market. How much should you have in the bank before you start going down this? Path? It takes two. It takes two things. Okay. Well, and the second one, part of geography. It, you know, you can start with ten thousand. You know, say we find a house that's forty thousand dollars, and you get a mortgage with it. Twenty percent down is eight thousand. Right. Um, and then you you pay some closing costs, which of course will ask the seller to pay for. They may or may not do that. Uh, so it can be as little as ten to get started if you're going to get an investment property with a mortgage. Uh, there's a lot of different ways that you can get an investment property. You can house hack, but that's a good amount. So I, you know, there's not you know, 47 percent of Americans they said don't have four hundred dollars for an emergency, right? So you're in a different boat. You're doing other things. Like my sister is actually in that <laughs> I don't think she is. I love her. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, she teaches me about, like, how the working poor live. Like, you know, you, I mean, family, you can't tell them anything, right? But, um, you know, I know those people, right? Uh, but the people I talk to generally are professionals, um, so they earn a wage. Or they're just uh, people in trade, right? They're plumbers, but they've been able to save. Um, there are people out there who have ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars to start investing with. So it's that. But the other part is, is are you willing to travel? So a lot of the people I work with are in New York, D.C., California, Texas, Atlanta, Georgia. So are you willing to drive two hours outside of where you live to find a good property? Right. Um, and right. your willingness or unwillingness to do that will dictate what kind of deals you will find. I've had people in California who jump on planes. So we're very strategic about those markets so they can find the houses that align with their budget. So if you have 10000 we need to find a neighborhood, an area where 
that will give you a decent house that doesn't need a ton of renovations. But if you have 30, well, maybe you can find a house that's 50000 right? So your market that you can go to might be a little closer than the one who has a little less money and has to travel further. So there are different variables that go into it, and it depends on where you live. California is going to be different than someone who lives in Georgia who lives in Pennsylvania, right? So I, how far they'll have to travel. So it's not just how much money you have. It's are you willing to travel? Because you can have as much money as you want, but, like, if you're not going to travel, you're not going to be able to take advantage of these deals and prices. So it's um, so if you work with me, you might notice it's not – there's never a yes or no answer. It always is an answer that needs to take into your location, geography, budget, and tolerance for doing a big renovation, right? So if you're looking Versus at so not if you're doing looking, one. So if you're looking at getting into the sub fifty market, you pretty much have to assume that whatever price point you're gonna be looking at, you need to have at least twenty percent of whatever it is. So let's say you mentioned fifty thousand, so you need to have twenty mm-hmm. percent of mm-hmm. that to be able to get mm-hmm. started. And so in that case, that would be ten grand. If it was thirty thousand, you need twenty percent of that, which would be about six grand. Six. You know? So if you're looking at generally. Generally. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you need to generally. get seventy five percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, you do need that amount. Um, I'd recommend it. Like, I I don't recommend, like, you have no money saved because how can you be a good landlord if something breaks and you just have no way of fixing it for your tenant? Because you were trying to get money, but you did it before you were ready to be a service to them as much as they're going to be a service to you, right? So you, you need to be able to do that. Um, and generally, because some people, um, when I started, I actually had a foreclosure. I couldn't get a mortgage. So there was other creative financing techniques. I go into it in the book and in my training, but um, it'd be too long to go into right now. As you notice, these are long thought out responses. So, you know, it it would take a long time to go into that. But um, yeah, it also, 25% of the people, we do use creative financing techniques to buy these lower priced homes. So once a person has decided that real estate investing is the path that they want to take to financial independence, how long is it going to take for them to get up and running? How long is it going to take? A month? Six months? A year? Uh, two days? Are you working by yourself? You it depends. Are you working by yourself or working with me? Those are two different timelines. Okay. Or a mentor, right? So well, you want to you well, know both? Yeah, both. Both Both options would be, I'm assuming if you're working by yourself, you're, you're, I'm assuming you would buy a book like yours and then use that to kind of guide mm-hmm. you. Or mm-hmm. um, uh, you have you mm-hmm. do have a mentoring uh, program for real estate investors and you mm-hmm. can work directly with you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so give us the two alternatives, mm-hmm. two things. One would be buying your book and using that. The other would be working with you in terms of uh, being able to, okay. you know, uh, use mentoring. So I have a Facebook group called the Sub30K Mastermind Group. It's free. It's uh, 9,600 investors, mostly black investors, who are doing really good. And so I could see when they first joined versus when they said, I want to have something versus when they're like, here are the pictures of my first property. It is anywhere on their own, anywhere from six months to two years. So I've had people, you know, two years ago finally post that they did it um, on their own. And then I've had people within six months. Um, posts that they were able to do it. Um, the trickiest part on navigating on their own is investing long distance um, because, you know, years of experience goes into that and helping people over the country. You know, my clients go faster with them. They just have to figure it out just on their own. They get my book, which is going to be helpful, but, you know, you know, book is a book and the level of detail is something um, that you either have to learn through your own experience. So six months to two years, I find, um, is pretty, and the six-month people are the ones who are extra aggressive. So if you're a personality, 
that is more cautious and healthy, yeah, two years. And I've had some people who still haven't done it yet. They've been with me since 2013, you know? Um, and I'm like, okay, you know. But, you know, maybe they like to be in the group and that energy, which is really good. Now, when I work with people, it's anywhere from two weeks to five weeks, right? Because, I mean, I have a training I give them um, on how to be detailed, how to find, how do you go out of state? What do I do? I can go anywhere, right? No, you don't. No, you're not going anywhere. We're very strategic about seeing where you are, what your, what your, um, your money is, you know, just raw numbers about how to read the numbers. And then it really becomes clear where you should be investing or market is optimal for you. Um, does it have the kind of people that you need as far as property management to take care of it? Is it close by? How far away is the travel? Oh, there's, there's different things. We take all of that into account. Um, when you do that and they get on the phone with me and they're just like, I had this question. I saw this. What about someone said this? Is that true? And, you know, generally it's like in this price range, no. In this demographic, no. So that's when people get caught up trying to take ideas or skills they've learned from another market into this. And I'm like, each market's different. You approach a high-end market different than a low-end market. Doesn't mean, you know what I mean? So you have to be able to know what those are before you either spend too much money or not enough money on the wrong things. Um, and so, uh, so it takes anywhere from two to four or five weeks before we're like looking at properties and submitting bids. It just goes faster when you have training and you can just talk to someone who does this on and on. So I, and the reason I said I wanted to do both is just because, well, if you work with someone who is good at what they do, at their craft, you know, and has um, kept their skill level up at this craft, and you work with them, I mean, like, three weeks is a different, you know what I mean? You can go from zero to hero, right? But on your own, you're just going to have to take time to learn the things that we've already know about, discussed, and trained on. It just takes you time to learn those ropes yourself, but you'll eventually get there. So that's generally the timeline I see in my group versus people who work with me. Now, in your book, you mentioned about four, five things that folks need to do, the right market, the right price, the right team, the right tenant, yes. and the mm-hmm. right mentoring. Mm-hmm. Now, I think you covered the right yeah. market, which is the sub-50 mm-hmm. uh, um, market. Uh, well, market could be the place, the city that you're going to. You already determined yeah, the price. Yeah, it's the city. It's the, yeah, we determined the price. Um, it's the city. And the price is variable. just depends on how much you have and what your tolerance is for doing a renovation. Um so you know what I mean? Because some the, people are like, I am scared of doing a renovation because I see so many horror stories, which are accurate. There are horror stories. you got to know what you're doing. Um, but then other people are like, no, I'm fine. And, you know, there's ways to do a renovation where you're always on top. Like, it doesn't have to be this crazy, bad thing. It's just people who are unskilled might make you think that. So you, you, we've identified that sub-50 is the, mark, is, the, is the price point we're looking at. How do you, how do you mm-hmm. find the right market? Now, with me living in Atlanta – Atlanta is just too competitive, too many folks out there. Price points are a lot higher than I want. So I went to, you know, south of mm-hmm. Atlanta. So if you're not mm-hmm. in Atlanta, you're in a different town where the price points are a lot higher, how would you go about finding a sub-50 market uh, a city? How would you go about well, finding I do, So, okay, I do go into training on how to do that, right? So um, it's a little too much to do on this blog talk radio but okay. we, we will get a list of all the different ones that you can drive to within two hours. But then the most important part isn't just finding a place where they have a house that's $35,000. Because if it's $35,000 and makes $300 in rent, I wouldn't, I wouldn't purchase that. Other people might. If I, you know what I mean? So it's, it's bigger than that. And the skill set you need to learn is, okay, so if I have five different markets where I actually find these, which one should I actually invest in? you got to look and see if it's tenant or landlord friendly. Well, how, you know, figure out how do you get that information. 
um, how's it growing, what's the projection, and uh, also what's the inventory like, right? And so you look at um, all these different factors. So you can get a list of things that you can drag to, but, like, which one you should actually purchase in is where the nuance comes in. And that's sort of what I, I help people understand. So building a team of folks, you say you need a team of people to kind of help do this, whether you're doing it long distance or it's in the same mm-hmm. city. I'm sorry, the same city. Mm-hmm. So what what type of team mm-hmm. members do you need on your team? What folks kind of folks do you need on your team? Uh, okay, what kind of folks do we need on our team? Um, property management, that's a big one if you're going to be investing long distance. See, and that goes into do you want to be a rental property owner or a landlord, right? Um, and there are big questions to ask because a rental property owner, you're specifically looking for places where you know they have good property management and more than one, two, or three companies uh, because you are going to hand it over to them, right? So sometimes we might find a really nice house and it has a tenant, but they have no property management companies in that area. And, or they only have one. And I would tell them to pass because if it doesn't work out with that property manager, which, if it, you know, it's you don't know until you're in business with them. That's the thing about real estate investing. You do not know. You're going to try to account for everything. But in some things, you don't know if they're going to work out, just like you don't know if every contractor is going to work out, right? So you try to protect yourself. And a way to protect yourself is making sure there's more than one property management company in that location, right? Because if it doesn't work out with the first or the second, you have three or four to bounce off of. The house I have in Ohio, I'm on my third property management company in nine years, right? Like the house is going to last forever, right? I keep it up. It's going to last another 20, 30 years as my rental property. Uh, But, you know, how fast are you going through property management companies because you start working with them and realize that they're not good. And you you can sort of know that through reviews, but even if they get a five-star review, you don't know until you're, you're working with them and you're in bed with them. So um, there are places where I'm like, hey, there's only one property management company. If you do not like this person, say they're not returning calls, they're not collecting rent, they're not doing the evictions right, whatever it is, and you decide that you no longer want to work with them, well, there's no one else. So do you want to be a long distance or, or a landlord, long distance or not? And it's a question you really need to answer because there's nice houses everywhere, but that doesn't mean you should buy one. It depends on what you want your business to look like. So, so you have a property that manager. is a big part of the team. So you have the property manager on your team. Anybody else you need? You need a real estate agent um, to help you. Who else do you need on your team besides the property manager? You Anybody do. Um, those come later, and it's a little bit more nuanced. And um, and the contractors are a little bit more nuanced. So I do show people how you want to vet the contractors. Uh, you you know, everyone's going to say they can do the work, but it's less on them saying they can do the work and more on you structuring the contract to protect yourself. Okay. So, um, that's a big part of it. So, so honestly, it doesn't, so outside of property management, depending on if you want to be a landlord or not, or a rental property owner, if you want to do the work or not, outside of that, it doesn't matter where you are, um, to get the team in place, you'll find, the contractor or the plumber or the electrician so that comes later pm is the big thing but then um there is a way of finding them and structuring how you work with them so that you can't be taken advantage of um so that does not matter where you are it matters on your skill set and do you know how to structure a contract properly so you mentioned something called the cpr technique you want to want to explain what that is um, like I said, uh, that's, um, 
Yes, it's just a way of looking at the, uh, you can read more about this in the book or in my training, it'll be more detailed and show you a video instructions on how to do it. But in this area, most people were just talking about, oh, I don't want to go in these areas. And, you know, the biggest thing they were talking about is crime. So I found that there was a method of looking at the different crimes, um, you know, looking at an address, but just looking at the crime that made a really big difference. And then when you look at how many photos there were, that made a difference, you know, like on you doing an online analysis when you're looking for a market. And then uh, also looking at the rent, so CPR, crime photos, and rent. So those were like the three main criteria for deciding if you want to buy a low-priced property. The rents are especially important because, like I said, if there's a $35,000 house, that's good, but if it makes $300 in rent, like that can't even sustain itself. Right. So, you, so looking at all those factors was like sort of like those were the main overhead metrics. There's more, but that was the main. Um, so that was a, a good first start. But as you notice, as I answer, like there's different levels beneath it that you can check off and make sure it's in alignment as you go along. So, you, you know, and that makes sense. You're looking at the crime in the neighborhood because obviously the crime is going to impact whether someone's going to rent, you know, uh, a home there or, or it's appreciation. Looking at photos because I'll, I'll find I'll go on Zillow or Trulia and I'll see just one photo. I'm like, they're trying to sell this and they got one photo? What are they hiding? Right. So, I, yeah. you know, Some of these agents aren't the best agents. Like, yeah, it's like not, yeah. not every property manager is the best property not every real estate investor is a good real estate investor. I would never, if I was a real estate agent, I would never put just one photo up of a house. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. You always kind of wonder what you're hiding. <laughs> and then the rents and stuff like that. Now, I know in your book you that get matters. more, into, mm-hmm. I know you get uh, a little bit more uh, detailed into creative financing. But just share some of the options that folks have who may not have all the money they need, that they may have pockets of money that they've not thought about. Some of the, just the categories of where you might be able to find creative financing? Mm, you can use a combination of what you have saved um, in different aspects of your life, uh, your 401k, your IRA. Also look at different loan options like personal loans um, and and whatnot. So it really um, – so there, there, we, we can add a bunch of little pieces together strategically to come up with the money to get through not only just the purchase, but also the renovation. Are but you it big, might be you get a little from this part and a little from this part, and you add them up to make something big. So you're saying conventional personal loans, hard money, 401Ks, home equity lines, kind of pull it all together to kind of, you know, do what you need to do. Basically. Yeah. Okay. Have yeah. you? Are you a big proponent of, of, of buying property for cash? Because always this thing in real estate, use other people's money. What's your thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. You know, if you had ten, fifteen grand, would you buy one property uh, for cash, or would you got to try to spread that around a little bit? Um, not too many houses you could buy for like fifteen k cash, but it just depends on the person and their needs. Uh, for the most part, mortgages is how you're going to get the most houses because you only have to put twenty percent down. Right, so if you have thirty thousand dollars, putting a little bit down is better, so then you can get more houses with a mortgage, if you have that availability. Some people do not have that ability uh, because of bankruptcies or foreclosures, and um, in that case, you might look to buying something cash, and then in, and you have to make sure it's worth what you're putting down, because you don't want to tie it all up and make like four hundred dollars a month, but you just put your life savings in there. So it needs to be really strategic on that the ROI is what. And, you know, a lot of what I'm saying might seem like common sense, but it's not. 
So I don't want you to think, oh, obviously, no, it's not obvious um, because I get the stories. Um, So we just have to make sure that, like, the return is going to be a return that you can use. So now you mentioned the return's not that big. That works with some people. So you mentioned a return. What's consider, what would be considered with the strategy that you're talking about in the sub-50 market, what would be considered a good return on, on, on an investment? What, what type of percentage numbers um, should you be looking at? Right. Um, percentage, I usually look at cash flow, but honestly, just to be honest, when we're looking at percentage, I mean, we make 20 to 30% return on investment. If you you put ten thousand dollars down, right? Like you profiting like three thousand, four thousand for the year, right? And then you know whatever you put down, it pays for itself within two to three years. So when you ask what kind of person would do this, it's the kind of person that needs that fast turnaround time, and who are also so just so we don't get into the just the money, um, also comfortable going in minority neighborhoods can do it. Um, with integrity and honorably, not trying to gentrify and push people out, but also to make sure you're providing a good long-term stable home for someone and not just raising the rent as much as you can. Because um, I like to tell people you need to be very mindful of, um, so cash flow is good, right? Like in a couple of my properties, I can raise rent, but I choose not to because I do understand I'm going into the lowest price neighborhoods that exist in some cities. And I'm not trying to move good people out in order to make a couple hundred dollars more a year. And that's something that in the real estate investing community, not a lot of people um, can proudly say, but my group of investors, my 9,600 investors in my Facebook group, we have this discussion all the time of how we can impact the community and provide long-term housing. So cash flow is relative. Um, It depends on what part of the country. So in certain parts of the country, like the South, 300 is a good goal, whereas in the Northeast, it could be 400 to $800 um, for one property that costs 30 to 50K, and that's cash flow. Uh, so it depends so, on where you are. So if you're in California, do you want to go to the Northeast to find a deal like that, or do you want to get somewhere closer where it might be 300 You know, So it just, if you're in the South, do you want to go to the, you know what I mean, to find that money, or do you want to stay local, but the returns are not as much? Are you looking, when you, when you took, talk about investing for cash flow, are you as concerned about appreciation in these properties, in these sub-50 market properties? Are you, are you concerned if, about if whether you're appreciating yes. value? Um, if I can, if I can be concerned, right? Um, so I'm different, right? Like, just, so if I see a market that's growing like crazy and I know appreciation's there, I will maybe pay a little bit more to be in there just because I can write that appreciation. However, I've done it where I have not done that, and I've been perfectly fine with the cash flow. So it just depends on what markets are available or make sense to you. Mm. So sometimes you, you might you know, the market about the cash flow. Yeah, well, just, yeah. So, so say there's two markets, and one's like an hour and a half away, but the cash flow is a little less. Um, and there's no – maybe the cash flow is the same, but there's no appreciation. And then maybe if I go three hours – it's the same cash flow, but great potential amounts of appreciation within the next 10 years, right? So then that's a personal choice. Do I want to drive the extra to set it up? Do I want to go to that extra market to get in? Um, so when I was younger, like when I started 10 years ago, I'd go as far as I needed to go. Now I'm older, I can take a little bit less returns to be closer, right? So it depends on what stage you're at in your money, your risk assessment, and where you want to go with it. Yeah, and, I, and the reason why uh, I asked so that, it depends I on you. Because a lot of times in, in some of the sub-50 markets, you're not going to 
because of what's what's happening in that particular market, you're not going to see a lot of appreciation, but you're going to get good cash sometimes. flow. I mean, you know, sometimes you're going to get good cash flow, but the property may not appreciate as much. And some people need to, I guess, yeah. mentally prepare for that because they always say, hey, buy low, sell high, and that kind of thing. You know, and I guess it depends on what your objective yeah. is, and that's the other part. You know. Yeah, well, that's where a lot of people come with a lot of miss, um, just an idea of what real estate investing is. Because that's all they hear, buy low, sell high. Well, you know, that's not always possible. Where you live, buying low means $700,000, like in D.C., or $500,000. And, like, that's just not accessible to the majority of people out there who want financial freedom in real estate investing, right? And so when you add um, – so, yeah, when you add that on top of it, it's like, okay, uh, why? You know, like, but most people, like, most people want financial freedom. That can be through – making a ton of money by flipping or it can be long-term asset buy and hold where you bring in, you know, $5,000 in cash every month and you don't have to work anymore. Right. So for us, if I'm making the $5,000 a month in cash flow from my five, six, seven properties that I bought over five years, like I'm okay with that. Like I don't really care about appreciation. (laughs) Like as long as I have this property for 30 years, bringing me money like this, um, I'm okay. Right. So it's not even like, um, so that's like the main thing that everyone says, but the money isn't made doing what everyone says and does. The money is made is looking belief that and doing what no one else is saying and doing. And, and with that mindset, it, it doesn't even factor into our minds. Like I'm not looking, I mean, I'll look for it. And if it still, I can get in within my budget and there looks like, um, cause you can tell if there's going to be appreciation or not. Um, my training goes into that in detail. So you can tell, it's like obvious to me, like, <laughs> uh, this is a rating. It's, do you want to pay the money to be in that market? Like Atlanta's appreciating. And not just that, it's easier to tell when it's not Atlanta, but like, do you have the uh, 80,000 to start in Atlanta or do you have like, um, do you have the money to buy a house to start in Atlanta versus buying a house somewhere else that's $30,000, right? So it's just not something that always enters in, but it can, depending on if you want to invest in that market. And so, you know, I, I want you to share how folks can, can take advantage of your mentoring and, and get your book. But, you know, you got so much going on. Are you still actively out there <laughs> looking for properties? Because I, I just imagine that, you know, I know with my wife and I, we had to look at like 20 or 30 properties before we bought our first one. So I just curious, oh. are you still out there in the market, you know, uh, you know, taking advantage? I am. I am. I am, but I'm self-employed, so it doesn't look the same as other people, right? And I just bought my own house. So I bought two houses in the last six years. So when I buy my own house, that's two years I'm out the game because my extra money goes towards my own property. Do you know what I mean? My credit goes towards my own property. So um, anything I would do with to renovating an investment home, I use that money to renovate here, and then there becomes a, a wait period. So I just bought a house in September, and I put about – I'm, <laughs> I put a, of course, I bought it under value because I think everyone should buy their first, uh, their primary residence like it's an investment property. I have a whole video on YouTube on it, and I would highly recommend it. If you're not rich, you need to buy every single one of your primary residences like your first pro- your, your your primary, which means undervalued, but also be able to put that sweat equity into it. Um, so that's what's going on with that. And being a business owner, so, you know, I'm, I take my deductions. I'm not trying <laughs> So I, you know, so I think of other things. So I'm on a little break as I, you know, sort of recover from all the investments I made into my house, which needed a new roof, it needed new floors, it needed, you know, uh, just all sorts of new stuff, right? Um, 
and then I'm helping. But what I do full time is help people who have, like I said, anywhere from ten thousand to ten to forty thousand dollars, and they're like, "Hey, I want to do this. Where do I start?" And then um, that's actually a lot of time because um, there's a lot of people out there who are in that position, and they just want to be able to talk to someone as they walk through this process and not have to do it on their own. So talk about how you how folks can get a copy of your book. And um, and also, you know, how they could take advantage of this, uh, you know, 35 market uh, Facebook group, which yeah. I am a member of. I have to tell you that, yes. you know, I'm in a lot of groups on Facebook and I have to be honest yes. that, you know, I found my, uh, you know, I use the advice that you share and, and as well as others share. It's one of the most forthcoming groups I've ever been a part yes. of. So transparent, yes. so willing to help. Yes. Matter of fact. You know, yes. one of the things we have not discussed is that in the sub-50 market, you have to find a bank that is willing to lend you money because most banks won't lend un- under 75 and some under 50. And so I, through, I wouldn't say most group, banks. Did, you just have to well, look for a bank. You, you have to look for And I did find and, – and working through your group, I did find a bank that will lend yeah. in the sub-50 yeah. market and uh, didn't have a minimum. So, yeah, you know, the bigger banks, the Wells Fargo's and stuff, generally they're not going to do that. So you have to be more creative in finding a bank that will. But you do. once again, through that, through that My group. My book that is Facebook. all about creativity. Let me tell you, that group is amazing. I would say this. I attract people like me, okay? <laughs> mm. And so I'm very I, – I love that because they're just – and, you know, I, you know, there's some people with an energy I don't like. Like, if you come in and you're super, I don't care about the people. I just want to make money. I'm sorry. You're you're going to get out. Like, I'm going to see that. Like, that energy, I don't care about people. I just want to make money. If you have that energy and you're in my group, eventually you're going to get out because you're going to, that's just not an energy you want to facilitate. We want to just do things different. Um, so the group is a uh, Facebook group. Uh, just type in sub30k mastermind group, sub30k mastermind group i should come right up um or if you go to any of my youtube or twitter channels or social media at affordable rei on instagram twitter linkedin everywhere there will be a link to the facebook group and it's free um it's a good group because they are people who generally come from my background but you know we're able through education and socioeconomic you know scale that those ladders those socioeconomic ladders now be in a position to do it but also do have an affinity for working income, uh, lower income black communities, right? Like the type of we ourselves grew up from. And so because of that sort of shared experience and acknowledgement, like we really are here for not just ourselves, but for the people in those communities, right? And it's both. Like it's, you can walk the line of like, you know, you're not a pushover, but you do care, right? And it sort of shapes the entire energy. And, you know, I do talk of spirituality. Our energy when we go into that house is um, let's provide a solid long-term place for people. We're not trying to gentrify, raise rents on good tenants. We go into it with an energy of what we get uh, of that. And guess what? Like in business, your energy you put into it comes right back to you. And so we do generally have more success stories than we have horror stories, whereas in other places it's all over the place. But then there are also people who, you know, have taken on the very capitalistic mindset at the expense of the humanity of what you're doing. And that's just, we don't do that in the group. We, we, we are able to embrace both, right, with practicality 
and that really shows through. So you're going to get advice on, like, helpful advice, and we want to help you. But you'll also hear a story of, like, nope, don't do this. If your tenant does this, you have to immediately do this. You know, like, you know, we're offering good places, but you can't let them take advantage of you. And it's beautiful to be able to go someplace where you can manage both effortlessly. So that's the stuff that became Mastermind Group. Now, as far as my book, uh, I am very proud. I didn't know this would happen, but it's been on three best-selling lists on Amazon since I launched in 2018 and right now I think it's third or fourth place on real estate investments but my face next to all those other faces because my face is right on that cover and it's been up there and I'm very 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 happy with that did not foresee that at all (laughs) and uh, the book is going to be on Amazon you can get it you can get the paperback basically anywhere Walmart Google Books um yeah, so the paperback is everywhere pretty much, but the ebook is on Amazon. Um, just put investing in rental properties for beginners. And I always say I recommend people do that. Uh, the book is always going to be best. And then second, go to my YouTube videos, get a feel for it. And then if you want to work with me after seeing my videos, my trainings, how I talk, and I want you to feel my energy. So before you get on the phone with me, I want you to, to feel me. And that's why when I do finally get on the phone with you, it's just a lovely conversation because they had chances to delve into that and with trust come with me versus mistrust, right, that I know what I'm talking about, that I've delivered, that I have proven results. And then you can sign up for a strategy session with me, and you can just go to my website and go strategy sessions. So it's affordablerealestateinvestments.com and click on strategy sessions. Um, if you want to look at the training, go to the training center. Um, but the book and then my YouTube ch- uh, channel is the best place to start. I just say the uh, uh, book first because people are in my Facebook group and my YouTube, and you'll see people, like, asking questions, and someone right below will be like, if you would have read a book, any book, like, you know at least the answer this, right? So some people don't want to read books. I get it. <laughs> I do have the audio book, so if you want to, like, do dishes, dehydrate food, prepare for this pandemic, you can listen. It'll be my voice. I don't think it's a no. I think it's pretty chill. You can listen to it for three and a half hours. Um, the audio book is also available off Amazon and where other audio books are, are played. So I would recommend at least the book first. That's always a great start because it just answers a lot of questions before we get into, like, the, the nuance and details um, of, of investing. Yeah, and I think you, you make a good point, and we thank you so much for being on the show. You, you know, getting the education first before you jump out there and start doing stuff. And um, obviously, you know, um, I've read the book, and it was very, very informative, has a lot of good information, and, of course, it reiterates the, the different um, options you have in terms of working with you and the websites yeah. and that kind of stuff. So, you know, you've done a, a yeah. tremendous job in putting all that together and making it easy to understand. I think that's the real key that, uh, that I see is making it, you know, understandable for the common person looking to get into right. real estate. You know, because one thing I've always right. said is that there's only two ways to make money in America. You don't own a business or you own real estate. And most of the folks that are wealthy usually have both. So uh, I applaud you for your efforts. Right. What you're doing. <laughs> you're ab- and, that, and I tell people, um, can I just go up? I tell people real estate and an online business. Between those right. two, you know, there's a lot of people who follow that advice. And during this pandemic, we have our online business we built over the last few years. And we have our real estate, you know, and that, you know, the stress level is just not the same. And so it really does protect you through all of the bad times that might be coming. And I, and I, I think that, you know, in this pandemic, you know, with people sheltered at home and having more free time because mm-hmm. they can't do a lot of stuff. And if you don't come out of this pandemic with a new skill, a side hustle, okay. you know, or something. This is it. You know, this then, is it. Then, or, no, or more knowledge than either. Then the reality is that it's not that you didn't have the time; you just didn't have the discipline. 
you know, you have to really spend yeah, the time and, doing it. And, and we I have think that's to, what it we down. have to put it in. You are yeah, correct. Yeah. Absolutely correct. And so, and just one more thing, you know, everyone's going, oh, the pandemic, but there are people who put that time and effort into it who are doing okay, right? And it just goes to, you know, so, you know, we sympathize with everyone, but like at the end of the day, your life is your life. And any work that you decide to put in five years ago, well, you're paying for it now. And any work you decide to put in now, you'll pay for it in five years. So what, like, how much are you going to have to spend is, like, the question. You want to have to spend a dollar or $500,000? But it's up to you. Um, to It's your life, right, at the end of the day. Now, we'll show you and guide you, but no one can make you drink, right? Right. Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for, for being on the mm-hmm. show. And enjoy mm-hmm. the rest of your day. <laughs> okay? You too. Thank you, Charles. All righty. Take care now. All righty. Bye.